Some of you may be interested in crime and in our next guest, Gary McCarthy. Because 100,000 Americans have been killed this year alone. Killed, murdered through drug overdose, fentanyl, manufactured in China, sent over here, coming across the poorest borders. And here's what it does. It claims lives, breaks families, and leaves the pieces. And one of the people picking up the pieces is Gary McCarthy, police chief, Willow Springs Police Department, former police superintendent of the Chicago Police Department. He's our guest on the Chicago Way podcast. Jeff Carlin is here, executive producer, WGN News Radio. And I'm John Cass, husband, father, editor-in-chief of your favorite website, John Cass News. And where are you? Were you walking across broken ground and the lights don't work, the street lights don't work, and you're wondering what you're stepping on? You're with us on the Chicago Way podcast on WGN+. So this is a guy who lives high on the hog, and he has this Tammany Hall-style attitude to power. And um, it is, it's the Chicago way, absolutely. The, the, the Chicago way is a deep cultural phenomenon. It's the Chicago way. The Chicago way, that's the focus. In a tower by the river, there lived a man. There was a man who took a stand with pen and paper in his hand. Defeating foes in every ward with a pen more mighty than the sword. No escape from his ink lasso in a tower by the river. Castle. Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. I've got to ask you, Gary, just heard from a friend of yours and ours that... um, that you lost your daughter last year. I did not know about this, and I'm very sorry. Well, thank you, John. Can you tell us what happened? What, what happened with this? Yeah, um, it's it's a story that you've heard a hundred times. Which is, she was a four sport athlete in high school, uh, one of those natural athletes who, yeah. who didn't really work at it. Uh, she t- she once turned a, a, an unassisted triple play in high school oh, softball. Jesus, and and then and then let off the next inning. Let off the next inning. Of course, hits a triple off the fence, gets to third base, and everybody's going crazy. And she looks at me in the stands, looks at her nails, and says, "How long is this game going to be? I want to go get my nails done." <laughs> <laughs> and I was ready to jump out of the stands because you know I'm. I was the classic overachiever. I, I was an athlete, but I didn't have the skills. I had to work hard to do it. So she gets into a car accident when she was a junior in high school, uh, right near the end of the year in June, and her ankle got pulverized. Um, it was on the Garden State Parkway in New Jersey. And uh, the short story is they loaded her up with Oxycontin, and she suffered through 18 years of addiction. and. Uh, Last May 29th, um, I'm sitting down eating a sandwich or something, and my ex-wife calls me and says, Gary, please, uh, I haven't spoken to Kyla. 
and she calls me every day. I haven't spoken to her since yesterday, and I just know something's wrong. And uh, she lived in the Bronx at the time, which actually I had connections there, and I called up a friend of mine in the NYPD, and he had a couple of detectives go over. And, uh, you know, my... <laughs> My present wife comes down and, you know, I'm sitting there and just waiting for the call to come back. And she says, what are you doing? And I'm waiting for the call that I've been waiting for for a long time. She says, what's that? I said, Kyla, she's unresponsive and I don't know where she is. And in two minutes, my buddy called me back and he told me that the detectives had gone into her apartment and found that he had overdosed uh, from fentanyl. Uh, her and her boyfriend, by the way, and, you know, one of the things that they talk about is, uh, you know, you send people to prison and they become better criminals, and it's pretty much the same thing with rehab sometimes. You send people to rehab and they hook up with other people who have the same problems and they just keep doing the same things, and this is the result. So um, it's one of the worst I've I've had a lot of tragedy in my life, trust me. But uh, mm. this one takes the cake. A year ago, May tw- May twenty ninth, and uh, the guilt is overwhelming. Um, you know, just don't want to celebrate your birthday because <clears throat> my daughter made it to thirty five, and I'm trying to figure out. You know, I'm on the verge of going to sixty five, and I'm like, that's just not fair. Mm. So, but you, you know what really pisses me off is the fact that last year in this country, there were 110,000 overdoses. That's and what gets me. from all indications, from all indications, it's the majority of them are happening through fentanyl. And just to be clear, in, in our 10-year active war in Vietnam, we lost 58,000 Americans. Mm-hmm. And here we are last year losing 110,000 narcotics and the vast majority is fentanyl and we don't control our borders killing our kids well that's where i was going john the precursors the precursors are coming from china to mexico they're getting put together by cartels and they're being distributed in this country across the southern border and nobody is doing anything about it um so i'm i'm angry about it and uh I want to do something about it, but at this point, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's overwhelming, and there's not a lot that I can do, certainly, um, except try and make sure that my my other daughter and, and my son uh, don't fall into the same traps, let's put it that way. So, very sad, very oh difficult God. thing, and yeah. you know, some people say I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy, and I might wish it on my worst enemy, but only that one person. Let's put it that way. It's it's a it's mm-hmm. a terrible, terrible thing to bear. You're not supposed to bury your children. How are you supposed to even deal with guilt? I mean, they say uh, well, you don't have any guilt, Gary. But every you're the parent, and so you're always going to feel. What could I have done? Every father feels yeah. this way. Every father could I have done yeah. something different to a. You know, like when they hurt their ankle in a sporting event, could I have trained them differently? Could I have get, get prepared them differently so that wouldn't have happened? So, and this is yeah. a death. This is an, a, a a death that was willed by a government in China and our lack of 
enforcement on the border with 100,000 kids dead. I just don't know what to say. I really- Meanwhile, you have, you know, 48,000 gun deaths and people are want to burn the whole thing down, but we just look the other way and, you know, almost three times the number. Gary, I, I can't even begin to wrap my head around, you know, what your the, the experience and just being you in that moment and in this moment, I just I can't. And I know you t- you're angry and and you're in a position to hopefully impact it in one way or another, just just because you're you know who you are. What do you think? What do you think? Where do we start on this thing? Because it's and it's not new, but it's it seems like nobody's been able to take the first step to get us to the point where this isn't, isn't a situation. This statistic goes away. Yeah. Well, the, the, the first step is recognize the problem, right? That's the first step yeah. in that 12 step process to begin with, but it, that's problem solving. First, you have to identify the problem. And you know, the problem is, and listen, I am not a conspiracy theorist. Um, I am, I am not a person who believes that the world is against us, but I do know this. We got Chinese balloons uh, flying over America. Mm-hmm. We've got Chinese drugs coming into this country and killing people. What is the point of a narcotic that kills people when they think they're getting high? They disguise right. it as other things. It's it's really clear to me that this is a major attack on the United States. They're killing our children. You know, they they put it. They, they disguise them as gummies. They disguise them as sweet tarts and all these various things to sneak them into the country and, and people are dying. And, and, you know, it's all over the news, but yet nobody seems to want to take the bull by the horns and stand up and say, okay, this is a major problem. This is what we're going to do. Why don't they want to do that? Why don't they want to identify? Why don't they want to identify the uh, co-conspirators, sorry, the government of China and uh, the Mexican cartels, why don't they even want to mention it? Why? Um, what? What cost? What cost I, do they do they give up? What cost do they bear by mentioning what's killing our children? Well, I think that there's politics behind all of this. First of all, um, and and listen, I hate to to deal in politics, but that is the the root problem with not taking this on politics of it. Um, we are weak right now. We are weak to the world. Um, I hate to say it, but this administration is is as weak a government as I've seen since maybe even going back to Jimmy Carter when he tried to, you know, save the hostages. And, you know, it took Ronald Reagan one day to get it done once he got elected. Um, at, at the end of the day, uh, this whole migrant issue uh they are, in some cases, now listen, I think that we should be a welcoming country, no two ways about it. Right. None of us, well, very few of us, I can actually claim Native American on my mom's side. But except for that, you know, my, par- my parents, uh, my dad's family came from Ireland. And my grandfather was on the lamb. He was IRA. They were going to kill him, so he had to flee the country. And he probably came in through Canada. I haven't been able to find his immigration record. So he would have been what's called undocumented today. And I I am not against that. But what I am against is you have to go through a process. And when you just let people come into this country, 
without even a health uh, scan to find out if they're bringing, you know, some sort of disease. Look at look at what's going on with sicknesses in this country and in the world today with these pandemics and these different forms of, of things. So start with the health thing, and and beyond the health thing goes the narcotics thing. So they don't want to take that on because they want to be welcoming. We just want to let people walk into this country like there's no border. You know, try doing that in Israel. I just spoke to a friend of mine, a woman who I worked with in Newark. She was actually Cory Booker's um, spokesperson when I was there, superwoman, Desiree Peterkin Bell. And she told me that she made the mistake of going to, like, the, the, the West Bank or something when she was in Israel like a week ago. And the Israelis almost didn't let her back into Israel. So anybody who's been to Israel comes back with a different different idea. And I've been there. And Israel realizes that they're at war. They've been at war since they were created. Whether you appreciate it, agree with it or not, that is the fact. And, and they are in a different place. When you look in the soldier's eyes, when you go to Ben Gurion Airport, yeah. that kid with the M-16 very clearly knows that he's at war when he's looking into every single car that's going in there. And we just don't, are not, we, we are not willing to take those steps. I think that the, the first obligation a government has is to safeguard yeah. your citizens, whether it's, whether it's military or whether it's narcotics and, and policing. And we are just not willing to do it right now which segues into the whole police thing. The police are now the criminals and the criminals are now the good guys. When you, when you look, I have, can you, I just want to put this on the table. When Kim Fox would talk about all her accomplishments, she doesn't talk about a conviction rate. (laughs) The first thing she talks about is how many people she's exonerated. Right. How many people she got out of jail and why she's, she's a prosecutor. She She is the best Mm -hmm. Best defense attorney in Cook County. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and when I told my wife, <laughs> when I told my wife, I said, well, Kim's not running. I said, that's good. Uh, she said, well, they probably have somebody worse. And it's probably true. So uh, it, it, the world is upside down. We're allowing ourselves to be vulnerable. Um, and listen, you're talking to a 9-11 survivor, right? I got caught in both collapses at the World Trade Center. Right. I was pretty uptight for a while after that. Let's put it that way. You have you have 212 floors fall on your head in one day. You start paying attention to what's going on. <laughs> sure. Well, where Where is that grit? Where is that grit that we had as a country going back then when we're under attack now? I don't know. There seems to be a voice, like several voices in our lives, like our dads trying to wake us up, our dads who've been through things trying to wake us up and say, life is survival, wake the bleep up. And then there are others that try to say, hush, go to sleep, it's okay, relax. It's not really that bad, don't worry about it. And those are the voices that the kid that you mentioned, the Israeli soldier, yeah, rejects. When I was in Israel, uh, yeah. I was escorted around by a couple of young Israeli soldiers, and all I kept thinking to myself was, son, give, give me that gun. I don't want you to hurt yourself. <laughs> but it's these 17-year-old kids, and, yeah. you know, they were legit. 
They were legit Wolves. soldiers. Right. And and the Mossad does not play. I, I had some experience with them, uh, and it was eye opening. It was eye opening how vulnerable we are compared to you know the state of Israel. And like I said, agree or disagree. You know, if if somebody yeah, dropped the right. country in the middle of this country right now, we wouldn't be happy either. But that's not the point I'm making. You know, I don't disagree with what the Israelis are doing to protect themselves, and I don't exactly. disagree with much of what they do. Because we're in a position now where we back off from conflict. We're taught to back off. We're taught to lay down. We're taught to, you know, take a step back. And all the while, the world is taking a step forward. So we're asked to step off the corner, and they're stepping up. And what are we supposed to do about it? Just roll our... Throats, I guess, roll our throats and give a give a, play, a soft place for the knife to land. Is that what we're we're teaching our children, our young people, our culture? I think so. I do. I know it sounds perhaps vaguely paranoid, especially to my good friends. Not really, but the the lefties in uh, that lift, listen to the, hate listen to this podcast, but. I wonder what they expect from us to lay down and die. Apparently, I mean, one hundred and ten thousand kids a year. Someone's kids are are dying, and it's yeah. Oh, we've got bigger fish to fry somehow. I I, I don't. It doesn't doesn't comport to what we've been talking about. How we should be, and how you know, we want our kids to be healthy and happy. And and Gary, you're right. The, the border thing, I don't get. I feel like you know, throughout my lifetime, I'm. In forties, and it's it's always been that story. Oh well, you know, so and so has fixed the border. They they hired another fifty thousand border agents, sure. or so and so spent thirty thirty million dollars, whatever it is. But it feels like the only reason it, it's still a thing is so it can be a thing, so it can be a, a football they can throw around at each other in Congress. And meanwhile, kids in Chicago, you know, like I said, now all over are taking drugs they shouldn't be taking. And we, is there any way we can stop the drug flow on the streets if without stopping the border problem? Well, it, you know, the the interesting thing is that criminals are like water and electricity to take the path of least resistance. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have to first make sure that we're doing everything we can to make them switch what it is that they're doing. And by the way, there's synthetic drugs being made in this country in labs. Uh, I'm sure everybody saw Breaking Bad, right? So yeah. those things are actually happening in this country. But but this threat is is ominous, and it's out there, and there's something that we can do about it. And, you know, the, the, you listen to them talk about statistics, and, and the statistics of drug seizures, and I've always said this, you know, having run New York's crime strategy for seven years and two major police departments in this country, Trust me, I get how people can work statistics. Oh, yeah. We hate statistics, Gary, on this show. I hate statistics because of that reason. Yeah, but here's the point. Sounds great when you can talk about the millions of fentanyl pills that you seized on the on the border. The seizures aren't the point. The question is, how much are we not seizing? Mm-hmm. Exactly. If that's what we're getting and we're still getting the results here, you Measuring know, this is a death. failed endeavor. Right. Yeah. 
So, so we got to do something different. You know, if what you're doing is not working, do something else. That's crime strategy right there. Which, by the way, John, to your point, talking about, you know, what is it that we're supposed to do? Um, mm. look, at, look, at, look at the articulation about who we want to be the superintendent of police in Chicago. <laughs> if, if there's a bigger problem than crime in Chicago, I don't know what it is. But What's when you listen to people talk about, when you listen to people talk about what, what is it that they want from the superintendent? They want somebody who can communicate. They want somebody who can confer with them. Uh, they want the community involved, so on and so Their forth. Hands. Not once have I heard somebody say, we want a crime fighter. It's somebody with strategy. We want somebody, yeah. so, somebody with a crime strategy. And by the way, there is no strategy. <laughs> and there hasn't been a strategy for quite some time. Right? Anyone who thought that this current mayor was going to do something about crime must have also thought, that the current president was going to do something about the border. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And it's that same thing. My mom is 92. God bless. And I'm the victim of, I'm a, I'm a stroke victim. Okay. She's a, I'm going to see her tomorrow. We're going to take her out to lunch, but here's the thing. Uh, I'm not qualified Gary to be, even on my best day, I wasn't qualified to be president of the United States, but <laughs> I see, I see the, I see the, president the way he's drifting off he's like the old yeah. guys you see in the nursing home like when you go pick up your mom you know some old guy yeah. they turn they left them in the chair they and they're going to come back and he's staring at the wall but that's our president why do we why do we accept that well i i don't know john but i can tell you this i i met the guy more than 20 years ago and he was a different person. Yeah, I met him to a fellow named John Timoney, who was the the first deputy commissioner in New York, and I was an up and comer at the time. Yeah. and I got sent to a conference, and I I met the guy, spoke to him, and you know he helped us pass crime bills and stuff like that. He was into the game. Yeah, um, he's just not in the game right now. He's not even watching it. Quite frankly, it's it's sad to see. So somebody else is pulling the strings. Perhaps, but I, but I don't see as a country, as a nation, when we look out at this old man, you know, drooling in, in the wheelchair, staring at, at the wall, that to me is not, doesn't, I mean, I know a little bit about Chicago, and I know that out in Chicago, there are people who, or anywhere in the world, it's anywhere, people look for, they're criminals who look for vulnerabilities, and uh, yeah. that criminal mind wants to take advantage of an old man who can't move. You know, he might look yeah. at the uh, Doberman Pinscher that the old man has, but he knows that the old man can't move. And so, yeah. so uh, they do take advantage. And that's what that's our responsibility is as citizens to, to protect our people, to protect our yeah. Our loved ones. It's just yeah. I'm I'm I'm, I'm a lot at a loss of words here, you know. Well, John, I, I said this years ago at a conference, and <laughs> and you know, and and one of the things that I said at a conference was, you know, people were talking about civil liberties. Well, we have to pay attention to civil liberties, so on and so forth. And I was in total agreement. And I said, but I think the first civil liberty. 
that we have as American citizens is the ability to walk down the street and not get hit in the back of the head with a bullet. Right. We just lost a nine-year-old in Chicago. Just the other what day. What the heck yeah. is going on? I'm what the heck at... is going on? And, and then, and then take the take the fentanyl thing on top of it. That's an assault on this country, and and we're not doing anything about it. It's that simple. Yeah, finally, we got people like the mayor in D.C. Or, or whoever it was in D.C. who stood up and, and said, hey, what we're doing is not working. We've got to start getting back to, <laughs> to locking people up. We're talking to Gary McCarthy, former Chicago police superintendent, former police boss in New York. He knows about policing. And I'm going to ask him now, what is going on in Chicago with, and he's the Police chief of Willow Springs, thank God we can, I guess, run to Willow Springs and try to be safe. But what is the mayor doing right now that's giving you pause? Because I don't, I don't see anything happening in, in our, our, our police department except what he's given uh, the teachers union more money than the, than the police, than the cops and telling the cops to oh. shut up about it. I don't. I don't get it. Yeah. Well, the, the the only thing that I see that gives me any bit of hope is there's three individuals. Um, I almost hate to mention their names because they might get blacklisted. Right, right. Um, so I'm only <laughs> going to mention two of them. There's, there's two guys who are on this transition committee. One is Brendan Deanahan, who right. is the former uh, chief of detectives and probably the hardest working, most talented person in the executive staff. Uh, who, who retired two weeks before the mayoral election when he should have been the guy thinking about the big job. That that portends really poorly for not just the Chicago Police Department, for the city of Chicago. Yeah. Brendan's on that transition committee that just came out with this report. Uh, the second person, I got to tell you, is Fred Waller. I love Fred Waller. If, if I have to walk down a dark alley and, and know that I'm going to have a scrap at the end of it, I want Fred Waller with me. He's a warrior. He's a worker. He's a policeman. But, you know, look at Brendan didn't want the job. Fred has articulated he didn't want the job. So, you know, those are those are people who I put stock in. And I'm not going to mention anybody else because I don't want them to get blacklisted. <laughs> but those are the things that give me a little bit of hope. But, you know, once again, you know, there's a maturation process with police leadership. And, and you know, I had the opportunity in New York. I was in the right place at the right time. And I, I hit the test right. And I got to the top of the department by going through the process. In other words, I was a captain before I was a commander and I was a commander before I was the next rank. And then I was the next rank before I was a deputy commissioner. Mm-hmm. And, and in Chicago, the politics dictates a game of shoots and ladders, depending on who you're aligned with. And who you're, who you, and who I you're created married what to. I thought was a meritocracy. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. Look at all the look, look at all these miracle sergeants that became captains <laughs> and it's in Chicago. I know. How you, know, you doing? Like, uh, yeah. How you doing? She's the uh, she's the boss of the IAD now. No, uh, everyone know everyone knows what that story is about, mm-hmm. and and they just turn off. I mean, the good coppers. And there's many good cop- police officers, many. And I tell them Without all, Gary, I tell them all. I say, stay in your car. 
don't get out of yeah. your car. I know I'm the raw, I'm the, like the Mephistopheles talking, <laughs> and I shouldn't be, but I don't, I got boys that age, okay? Yeah, for sure. And I don't want them hurt because I know that the city of Chicago will not have their backs if something goes wrong. Right. And guess what? You're dealing with criminals on their bat, worst day, drugs, alcohol, anger, violence. Something's going to go wrong. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, John, please I was, don't have their back. I was I was on TV, in, being interviewed about the Dakota Early case. That poor young man who got got shot and lost his leg. The the chef at night who was, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, shot sure. in Lincoln Park. Right. And I was on TV talking about it. And the facts of that case have it that the the vehicle that the bad guys came out of was actually seen on the museum campus sometime before it the car was stolen and they went to stop the car and the car took off and they didn't pursue it and after that there were three robberies the third the third one was the dakota early shooting so i was on tv and they they wanted to talk about the pursuit policy which which is a whole nother story but i said look this was not about the pursuit policy this was because what happened was once the car took off, the officers said, uh, we're not we're not pursuing the vehicle. We're going into the station house to do an eluding report for eluding the police, which is a crime. And after that, there were three more people who became crime victims. So they thought it had something to do with the pursuit policy. I said, this is about self-preservation. You know, people don't know that the Adam Toledo shooting. Right. Oh. A 13 year old kid yeah. who's on the street at two o'clock in the morning uh, on a Tuesday, which I believe even in Chicago is a school night. The future uh, gang with banger. a gang banger. Yeah. Right. With a gang. But no, he wasn't a future gang banger. He was what they call a shorty, which is a gang banger right. now yeah. who's young enough to hang out with a, with a senior gang banger. Because even though nobody goes to jail in Cook County, nobody goes to jail under the age of 15. That's for sure. So what what they do is. And I, I, let's go through the facts of this case for a second. Right. The, the gangbanger is shooting at somebody, which gets right. picked up on what? A shot spotter, which is what Brandon Johnson wants to get rid of. We don't want to respond to shots fired. That's for sure. We definitely don't want to do that, obviously. It gets picked up on shot spotter. The officers respond. The gangbanger gives the gun to the shorty. The shorty runs. The officer chases him. He turns. The officer fires. Okay. What was the city's response to that? No foot pursuits. Let's not try and keep a 13-year-old off the street at 2 o'clock in the morning. Let's not try and keep a 13-year-old from hanging out with a senior gangbanger. And let's definitely not try to stop that senior gangbanger from giving the gun to a 13-year-old to run from the police. Let's just tell the police no foot pursuits and let's get rid of shot spotter. If I'm not mistaken, in that neighborhood on 26th Street, there was another young girl, the teenager, killed by a random shooting because people shoot at cards they think are, you know, two sixers or the other team. Latin Kings. Yeah, yeah the, the other, other team. team. And, uh, and, uh, yeah. she's dead. Yeah, but think, think about, think about what we're doing. The response was no foot pursuits. So, we don't want the police to do their job. We want people to do whatever they want. That's, that's kind of where we are. 
And, and that's got to change. Unless they do We've it in your neighborhood. <laughs> or unless they do it to you. Unless you know? they do it to you, because I can't tell you, Gary, how many times reporters would come up to me and that when I was, before I was working at the place that stabbed me in the back, and uh, and people would say, can't you have these police, don't you know these cops to do something, you know, to, they're sla- slapping people around for for uh, cell phones and these gangbangers, and I'm like, yeah, that's happening because you're walking near the red line, you know that, get away from there. They're like, but we have to be there. There, we 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 don't want to give up our rights. And please, can you have the police do something? Can you know why won't the police do anything? I'm like, wait a minute. You want them to give a turban to somebody to knock them around a little bit, but then you don't want them to arrest somebody based on the color of their skin or their or your politics or their politics when they have a gun. You don't want them to be uh, stopped and frisked when they got guns. Like near when you see a bunch of gangbangers or uh, suspected youth going near the uh, bean, you don't want them frisked because, oh, my God, even though they're probably carrying, you don't want them upset. And at the same time, you want you want this and that and the other thing, and there's all it's all confused. And do away with the gang database because God forbid we know. Oh, yeah. What about that, Gary? Yeah. Well, how do you do data driven policing without data? Right. <laughs> and and uh, by the way, by the way, you, you know, you really just hit it on the head. One of our most successful strategies when I was superintendent had to do with our, our gang enforcement. And, and here's the deal when somebody gets shot, the general thing that the police do is everybody goes to the scene and then they look for somebody, right? What we were able to right. do, through gang, we, we chronicled as best we could, by the way, if there were problems with the data, then fix it, but don't eliminate it. As best we could, we tried right. to identify all the gangs in the city, all the gang members in the city, all the gang turfs in the city, and all the gang disputes in the city. So that if I'm a and I'm, I'm going to make this up. If I'm a Bowery, because I don't even like to mention their names. If I'm a Bowery boy, <laughs> and I get shot in Bowery boy territory. Neil right? Gorsi? <laughs> I'm, giving, I'm giving away, Slip Mahoney. I'm giving away my age, right? right. But if, if I get shot in Bowery boy territory, what we would do is we would look at who the Bowery boys were in conflict with. And that's where we would deploy right. our resources and we would prevent the next right. shooting by locking up Bowery boys in the other gang's territory. So eliminating the gang database doesn't let us be proactive. It doesn't allow us to be proactive. But, you know, you hit on something else, John, and i got to send you this paper. I, I wrote a paper back in 2016, and it's only four pages long because it's really simple. Uh, when I was superintendent, the, the stop and frisk issue hit New York City in a big way. And first of all, first of all, <laughs> the way that that name came about is in New York. It's called the, the the number of the of the piece of paper that you fill out when you stop, question, and frisk somebody. Is called exactly that: stop, question, and frisk form. Called the UF two fifty. Well, the ACLU mm-hmm. made it stop and frisk. They took out the question part. Now try and put that genie back in the bottle. 
So wow. when when that when that hit New York, my press guy at the time came to me and he said, "Hey, boss, what are we going to do here?" And I said, "About what?" Well, you know, you came from New York, and they're going to say that, you know, you're doing the same thing. I said, what we're going to do is analysis. And we did a two-year analysis of crime. In 2013 and 2014, which, as you recall, are the lowest crime numbers that we've had in this city since 1964, um, mm-hmm. we looked at who Because you're stopped. carrying the policy. Yeah, well, we You're carrying that policy while you're studying it. Yeah. Yeah. We had, we had a strategy. It's called strategy. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, and, and by the way, I got to give credit to the men and women department who were doing it at the time because it was a cultural change. They accepted it. They ran with it. And then it got blown up. But let's leave that aside for now. Here's the point. <clears throat> Here's the point. We did a two-year study of crime, who we stopped, when we stopped, where we stopped, and why we stopped. And here's what we found. In every one of the 77 neighborhoods in the city of Chicago, it matched description of the offender based upon crime complaints. In other words, you get met robbed by a male white in Lincoln Square, and we stop a male black. No, that's not what happened. <laughs> you get stopped, you get you get robbed by a male white. We're stopping male whites. We're stopping them at the time that crime was happening. We're stopping them at the places where crime was happening. Within two percent across the entire city. But here's the kicker, and this is what people don't understand. Take a look at Englewood. We all know the story. Englewood has had a high crime uh, issue for a very long Forever. time. Yeah. And you look at the demographic of the people who live in Englewood, and it's something like 98% African-American. You look at right. the offender description for murder, robberies, and shootings, right? The three most violent crimes. and 100% were African-American. Okay, well, that makes sense because that's the nature of the demographic there. You look right. at Lincoln Park, okay? And, and these numbers are not precise, but this is the point. And, and the, the numbers are precise in the paper that I wrote. You look at the demographic and only 8% of the population in Lincoln Park at the time was African-American. Yet, we stopped 56% African-Americans. If you look at the crime complaints, 58% of the offender description was African-American for those three crimes. Where, when, and who we stopped was exactly on the mark, which is why the crime rate went down as far as it went. And during my tenure, not only did we have the lowest crime rate since 1964, but we did it by making about 30,000 less arrests. There was a 41% reduction in police-related shootings from something like 107 to like 41. And then there was something like a 40% reduction in complaints against officers. Are those, are those the metrics that if you're running a police department, you want, you want less crime, less arrests, less complaints against officers, and less police-related shootings? And we did it constitutionally. <laughs> the very same Department of Justice that came to Chicago and castigated everything we did, including our training, which, by the way, training is run by the Illinois State Training Commission across the entire state. We exceeded those standards that the state had. Yet 
the same DOJ who came here and castigated our training, our supervision, and found it uh, implicit bias, and so on and so forth, was bringing police chiefs from across the country to Chicago to learn what we were doing to get those results that I just talked about before the Laquan McDonald shooting. The very same Department of Justice. <laughs> they were paying for chiefs to come here and learn what we were doing. Then they came here and said we had it all wrong. Well, first of all, if our training was not up to standards, that means the entire state of Illinois was not up to standards because we exceeded the state standards for training. Which could it could very well be that, you know, sure, that could be the case, and we could need to focus on that. But the, the numbers were good. We were people were pushing and rolling out the idea of you know, the, the sniffing out of of body cams and and put making that a mandate. And yet, look at where we are in, in just a few short years later, Gary. Whoa! And and look who do we have to blame for it? I mean, politicians, really, really terrible politicians. Yeah, without a doubt. But by the way, just to be clear, I'm the one who brought body cams here. I'm a, right. big, I'm a big believer in body cams. Everybody behaves better when they're on camera. At we least should. they should. If they don't, they're pretty pretty stupid. <laughs> but it's yeah. going to make sure that the cops do what they're supposed to do, and it's going to back up the probable cause. Yeah, reduce the liability. I was not a big fan of body cams when they first started. I didn't want to impede the police, but I, I am a fan now. Uh, I stand corrected. I am a fan now because, yeah, and I'm not a fan of the Department of Justice where, as you were speaking, I was watching Christopher Ray up on uh, the screen testifying before Congress all about what he hasn't done with the Bidens. But we'll oh. have to deal with that another on another subject another yeah. time. Will you well, come back? I, 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 will. I will. I want. I want to leave you guys with this thought of as we're winding down. Yeah, which is fine. I actually have work to do. <laughs> but um, <laughs> here's the other thing: the people who are making the selections and dictating policies within the within the Chicago Police Department right now really don't know much about policing. I mean, <laughs> I went to countless countless conferences over the course of my tenure. Um, one of the smartest things that, that the NYPD did was they partnered with Columbia University School of Business, and they would send like 15 or so executives every year to Columbia University School of Business to learn about business management and apply it to policing. I got exposed to the smartest criminologists in the country. Now, these are, these are people who were developing theories like police legitimacy. And I got exposed to them, and I debated with them, and I learned from them, and they learned from me. And I put a lot of their stuff into practice. It's not just about putting cops on the dots. And unfortunately, the rudimentary policing has to do with you go where the crime is. Okay, where's the crime? It's generally going to be in the underserved neighborhoods, which means that you're dealing generally with African Americans and Hispanics. And, and unfortunately... That means that you're going to be accused of racism. So it's a conundrum. And somebody's got to step back from it and say, hey, this is what's going on. And nobody's willing to do it. Nobody wants to have that voice. And, and Bill Bratton actually mentioned this to me recently. He said there's nobody in policing nationally with a voice. And, and if you go back, you know, a couple of years, you had, you had Kathy Lanier in Washington, D.C. You had 
Chuck Ramsey in, in, in Philadelphia. You had Bill Bratton in Los Angeles. I was here in Chicago. Charlie Beck followed Bill Bratton into, into Los Angeles. You had Ed Davis up in Boston. And we were all sharing ideas and everything we did. The people who are making this selection don't even have that concept of what those people know what to do. And that's where we're going to find success. So how are they going to find that person? Gary McCarthy, yeah, thanks, thanks for being here. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, guys. Thanks Always a pleasure. for being here on the show. Good luck, John. I hope your hope you health uh, keeps improving, my friend. You know what? I had these uh, these tough Irish Catholic girls, ladies from uh, Shirley Ryan, yeah. who were like putting me through the paces like football coaches because, as one said, my dad is I'm married to a coach and my dad was a coach. And I'm like, okay, Heather. She goes, now give me five. You already told me to give me five. So I'm giving her five. Yeah. All right. See you later, Gary. Bye for us. All right. Bye. See you. For Gary McCarthy, crime fighter, former police chief of Chicago, currently the superintendent of police in Willow Springs. And for Jeff Carlin, WGN executive producer, future physics teacher. And for me, John Cass. Husband, father, Greek Orthodox Christian, editor-in-chief of your favorite website or Common Sense News, johncassnews.com. Join us again next week for another episode of the Chicago Way podcast, won't you?